Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. I want to talk to you this morning about taming the tongue. Um, Mark told you right on Wednesday nights, we're talking about the power of our words. We did talk a little bit about taming our tongue on Wednesday. And it, uh, I was reading a story when I was uh, studying for the power of your words on Wednesday night. And it was about this man who called 911 because he'd been bitten by his cat and needed emergency services. Well, they sent emergency services. And in fact, the man did need help because what he called a cat was actually a Bengal tiger. But they couldn't get to the Bengal tiger until they got rid of the alligator he was also raising in his house. So when I tell you that uh, every beast is tamed, every animal can be tamed, he might have not completely tamed that tiger, but man has tamed every animal to some form or extent. You know, we used to go to SeaWorld growing up and see them riding the big uh, whale and Shamu and baby Shamu and you know, just amazing, and, and just all the animals in this world. And it tells us that in James that every creature can be tamed by man. Let me read it to you. James chapter 3, starting in verse 7, says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Mark showed that video about the upcoming series for the youth. It's about overcoming atheism. It is amazing to me that we can walk around as human beings and just see what goes on in our own bodies and not believe in God. To see the sun rise, as Mark talked about, and not believe in God. And how do we know we don't, people don't believe? Because they confess it with their tongue. They'll turn around after that and say, thank you, Lord. Praise God. And then they'll say, I don't believe in God. I remember a story way back in the day, Jesse Duplantis used to be, he may still be on TV, I don't know, but He was telling a story about taking a flight with a guy, and the whole trip, the guy was talking to him about atheism and the fact that he didn't believe in God. And sometime in the middle of the flight, they hit an air pocket and lost some power, and they started to go down immediately. The masks fell from the from the ceiling, and without missing a beat, that atheist began to pray out loud to God. Lord, please, please, if you just save me, I'll believe in you. And Jesse, being the sometimes smart aleck that he is, turned to him and said, don't call him now. You said he didn't believe in him. It's amazing how our circumstances can change our attitude, right? And how do we know what people believe? It's what they're confessing with their mouth. And what they confess with their mouth is backed up by what's in their heart. Well, as Christians, we're no different in that aspect. We're confessing what we truly believe. We confess that there's no cure for anything we're going through. If there's no healing, if there's no salvation, if there's no, 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 that's what we're confessing, then that's what it's going to be. And I got to tell you, there are times where this tongue gets me in trouble. 
That was a little loud for my wife back there. <laughs> there are times this tongue gets me in trouble. I just recently found out, thank you, I just recently found out from one of my boys that they were struggling, trusting to come to me to talk to me about stuff. Well, that's a new revelation to me, and I couldn't figure out why. And one day we're talking, and I'm just asking the Lord to help me understand better, and he finally reveals to me that I've been fussing at the TV. And he's been scared to come talk to me because he just thought that's the way I would react to him on some of the thoughts that he had. This is my own son who I raised, who I know knows that I love him, who I've planted many seeds in to say, you can come to me about anything. And I wasn't fussing at him about stuff. I was fussing at what's on TV because I'm so frustrated and tired of the lies that are being spit out that I can't hold it in anymore. And nobody on TV hears me. I've never had them talk back to me. But that don't stop me from fussing at them. I don't know, maybe y'all were doing the same thing during some of the games yesterday. I, you know, you, you begin to coach from your living room knowing they can't hear you. What I realized was that's what was in my heart. And even though the, the principle of what I'm saying is correct, the heart condition was not. The way I was responding to the people on TV and what they were saying and what they're doing and what they're putting forth out in this world is not the way Jesus would respond to them. And what happened was my son started hearing me, and this has been a recent development. I didn't used to do this. I guess I'm just getting older, and I'm just getting more fed up with stuff. And because he heard me confessing these things out of my mouth, he began to get concerned that he couldn't come to me if he had a problem. Because if he had a problem, then I was going to begin to light him up just like I was doing that TV. And that's not a good situation. This is my own son. What do the people around us out in the world think when we're speaking, when we're behaving? What are we putting out there? As Christians, we better be putting Jesus out there. We better be talking the way God would talk. But sometimes we don't do that. Mark Twain said the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. That's a pretty big difference right there. It's not just about the words you speak, it's the right words. I'll never forget, I was announcing football games for the high school one year, and kids would come up and give me song suggestions. And at first, I would take them, but I learned very quickly not to introduce them right then. And every once in a while, they'd bring a song, and I'd say, no, I, I can't play that song. And they would say, well, it's the clean version. And I explained to them, any song you have to bring to me that they had to do a clean version, don't bring to me. They should have done the clean version to begin with. But that's kind of what happens with us, right? We give the clean version, but what's in our heart really is still coming forward. You know what else I found out? Because I went to other schools that would play those songs. You know what happened? The song they were playing would mute the word, but the audience knew what they were saying, and they would still sing it. So it still went out there. It didn't matter because people knew what was being put out there by those artists. Well, people know what you're putting out there. People know who you are by your actions and by your words. Doesn't mean you can't make a mistake. Doesn't mean we're not going to mess up from time to time. But guess what? That's part of our words and our actions when we come up and we say, I messed up. 
When we take accountability and we ask for forgiveness, people see that as well. So what are we putting out there to the world? We've got to tame our tongues, but guess what? We can't personally tame them. That's what James just told us. He said, no man can tame the tongue. So then how do we tame our tongues? First and foremost, we have to trust the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of that conversation between Moses and God at the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 4, we read in the 10th verse, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You hear what he's confessing? That's what he believes about himself. But this is what the Lord said. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Trusting the Holy Spirit to teach us what to say is so important. Jesus said it this way to the disciples in Mark chapter 13, verse 11. But when they arrest you, not if, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. This morning I'm reviewing the sermon mainly because I remember that joke I told that many of you don't know was a joke because I botched it last week because I forgot it was in my notes. So I get to the notes section and forget it. So this week I made sure to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And about the third time, God says, what are you doing? So I'm rehearsing. I don't want that to happen again, Lord. He said, go back and read that scripture that I just had you put down in Mark chapter 13. (laughs) Just like the disciples, a lot of times we don't need to be Worrying beforehand or premeditating what we're going to speak. What had the disciples done though? They had spent time with the Lord. See, if we will put in the time, we can trust that the Lord will speak to us, tell us what to say, how to say it, when to say it. Every once in a while, he'll give us grace even when we hadn't been spending the time with him. But we got to put him first, first and foremost. That's how we tame the tongue. With each situation, we should pause ponder and pray. We should pause, ponder, and pray. And I got to thinking about that each situation. When we think about taming the tongue, immediately what comes to mind, what kind of examples? Negative ones, correct? In fact, I've just gone off for the last five or 10 minutes here about the negative things that we do and say, right? Being careful. But there's another side to this. We even need to pause, ponder, and pray before we talk when we're excited, Sometimes we get so excited we share things God's not ready for us to share. Sometimes we can inadvertently push a person further than they're ready to go. So in every situation, positive, negative, exciting, and frustrating. I don't know if y'all know this about me, but the more excited I get, the faster I talk. Levi has a similar situation In fact, he earned a nickname of Smiley. And when he would get excited, he'd start to smile, and he would try to talk faster, but his lips were so tight from the smile, you couldn't understand what he was saying. We have to tell him, okay, stop, pause, take a breath. Well, we ought to take those into account every time we're about to say something. We feel so pressured to 
to respond, to react to somebody that we come up with something even when we don't have anything to say. So today I mainly want to lay out the case for pausing, and then next week I will talk to you about pondering and praying. But pausing is the first step after we trust in the Holy Spirit. Pausing just simply means don't say anything until you know precisely what you should say. And I got to tell you, that's very difficult for a person with my personality. Because I run up against people that do that well, but they just sit and stare at you. And the more you stare at me, the more I'm going to confess. Even if I don't have anything to confess, I might come up with something. I could not lie to my parents because they would just sit there and stare at me, and it would eat me up. The world's worst spy. I would not be a good spy. Pause. You guys have a pause button. Maybe you used it yesterday during games. I just assume everybody's watching football games. Y'all all do the exact same thing I do, but... We know what the pause button is. The older we get, the more I use it to go to the restroom. And I love it. Pause. It helped me raise my kids. What? Yes, it did. Because before things like TiVo, you couldn't pause TV. Now, granted, maybe I shouldn't have even had TV going, but I did, okay? And before then, the kids would come in, and they'd have something exciting to tell you, or they'd have a question, and it'd be right in the middle of your show, and there was no way to rewind or pause, or you'd have to get frustrated with them and sometimes tell them to stop come back later be irritating but with the invention of the pause button on the tv we could pause what we were watching have that conversation pause is so good but you know a pause is not permanent a pause is temporary see there is a time where you're going to need to speak and you're going to need to say what god's putting on your heart a pause doesn't mean you just shut up for the rest of your life in fact, we're not supposed to be ashamed of God, are we? We're supposed to go and tell everybody about him. We're supposed to be the mouth for God. But we have to pause and make sure we are speaking what God has told us to speak. You know what some synonyms for the word pause are? Breath, breather, break. So before you respond to somebody, just take a breath. Breathe a little bit. Take a break. Just allow your mind a chance to think through what you're being told, what you're being asked. James chapter 1 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what I think about when I read this verse right here? I think about the elders here at Southside Christian Fellowship. Our elder board is filled with men and women that do this. They practice this. Let me see how many I have in here today. I've got some out today. But Jeff and Margaret, if y'all would stand up for just a second, please. Dad, if you would stand up for just a second, please. Gladys, if you'll stand up, please. Gary, if you'll stand up. I know... Uh, Mark and Pam are with the young adults, and Jim and Mildred are out today. Am I missing anybody? Amen. And, and uh, Linda, Gary's wife, is working with our children here, and then Mama is ministering at home. These are some of our elders. I guarantee you, if you've had interactions with these people right here, you agree with what I'm saying. You know exactly what I mean. I'm not talking about when we cut up. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Thank you. I'm not talking about when we cut up. You know, I'm talking about when we having conversations, when we are talking about uh, the Bible, when we are talking about life, when we're asking questions. They will pause before they speak. They've learned to do that. 
They've learned to pause. I was reading about President Calvin Coolidge. He was a little before my time and probably yours as well. He was president, the 30th president of the United States in the late 20s, the 1920s, not the 1820s. He was known as Silent Cal because they said he was a man with few words. But when he did speak, you wanted to listen. Now, they say these are the stories that they've heard, but they go along well with what I'm talking about. I wasn't there, but this is what I've been told. He was coming out of church one day, and a reporter stopped him and asked him how the service was. And President Coolidge's reply was simply, fine. And the, the reporter persisted. He said, well, what did the minister preach on today? And he simply replied, sin. Uh, okay. He said, well, what did he say about it? He was against it. That's it. That's all he said. They said another time he was at a, a dinner party at the White House, and he was sitting next to a lady that was pretty chatty. And about halfway through the meal, she turned to him and she said, my husband bet me that I couldn't get you to say three words or more tonight. He thought about it, paused, and as he was getting up to leave, he looked at her and he said, you lose. That's two words. So now I'm not saying you got to be rude. I'm not saying you got to be curt like that. What I'm saying is that, you know, you don't have to say a ton of words. You say what the Lord tells you to say. If you don't know what God's telling you to say, then don't say anything. Don't say anything at all. Proverbs chapter 21 tells us, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. In Proverbs chapter 17, it says, he who has knowledge spares his words. Think about what that also says. Maybe if you're not sparing your words, you don't have knowledge. I don't know. You just think about that. But he who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Check this out. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perspective, perceptive. I prefer the way Mark Twain said it. He said, it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> There's a lot of scriptures that talk about pausing and, and being silent and hearing and listening. My mama used to say, he gave you two ears and one mouth. You do the math. He wants you to hear more than he wants you to speak. You know, sometimes we think we have to solve a problem. I don't know if it's just a man problem, but I've only been a man my whole life, so that's the only perspective I understand and know. But when Tammy and I talk, if she expresses a problem to me, my brain says, fix it. And sometimes when I try to fix it, I end up making things worse because she didn't want me to fix it. She just wanted me to listen to her. Sometimes we do that with God, don't we? We hear somebody's problem and we want to fix it because we know what the scriptures say. But God can take care of himself. There's been many times where somebody gave me a word and it didn't register. It didn't make sense. I just put it on the shelf. And a few months later, that same person or God sent another person to give a very similar word and both of them came flooding back and it made more sense to me because of the things God had brought me through in the in-between time period. 
Now, was that person that brought me the word the first time wrong? No. No, absolutely not. Maybe they weren't supposed to bring it at that particular point in time. I don't, I don't worry about those kind of things. What I'm telling you is that God will tell you when to say something, what to say, and how to say it. And you don't have to force the situation. If you've not been privileged enough to be around somebody or you yourself to speak a word to somebody and they just break down in tears, man, I tell you what, it's instant, instant feedback, is it not? When you give them a word that the Lord has put on your heart, and maybe you don't understand it yourself, you might not even be confident in giving the word, but you step out in faith and you give that word and then just tears and they break, and you immediately understand, okay, okay. I was with Tammy one time in Applebee's, and I don't remember the exact word. All I know is she just mentioned a purple rocking chair or something like that. I mean, that's pretty much all she said. And that girl just paused for the longest time. And then God gave Tammy the rest of the word, and she began to talk about her grandmother and remind her who she was and that she was a woman of faith and just began to encourage her. I don't know how many tips that lady made, but she didn't serve a table for the next 10 minutes. She didn't move from our table. And she was in tears by the time we got done. And one of the things that was fascinating about that to me was not just seeing the immediate reaction of this young lady, but it was also the fact that I don't remember anybody trying to get her attention. It was so neat. God just kind of took care of the place, and nobody was trying to get her attention. It, it was pretty cool. But when Tammy gave that word, it was instant reaction. But it started with just something weird, something weird. But it meant something to that young lady. And because Tammy listened to the Lord and gave the word that he gave her, and then paused when she gave the rest of that word, I know it meant everything to that young lady. We get so excited. We want to be used of the Lord that we get ahead of God sometimes. We get the cart before the horse. I don't know if you've ever seen a horse pulling a cart, but I've never seen a horse pushing the cart. So if we get ahead of the car, that means we have got the right car, but we're not in step with the Lord. We're not moving down that path. At the time, God wants to move down that path. You know, we've been in this building now for five years. And I believe that our time is coming soon where we will be moving out of this building. But when we first got here, that was not the thought. That was not the hope. That wasn't even some of the words that we received, although the words were, this is not your final building. The words didn't say in exactly this amount of time, right? But we took it to mean that because we wanted to be out of this building. This is supposed to be a temporary layover, but see, God had another plan. God has done so much in this church body over the last five years. Just the transition alone from me taking over for dad was needed for a building like this, where there wasn't a lot of pressure, there wasn't a lot of other things happening. God's been teaching us stuff while we've been here. He's been growing us. See, the time isn't come yet for us to leave this place. There is a time coming. But if we were to leave too soon, we would miss what God's trying to do. Let me give you another example. The reason we were we got in this building to begin with was because the elders heard the heard the word of the Lord that said sell the other building we had. And was it one year or two years later COVID hit? And yet 
we had the resources we needed to not just get through that, but to thrive and to bless other ministries and help them through that situation. Had the elders not moved at that time, and nobody wanted to move because that building was built by our members and our elder board, and there was a lot of love, and there was a lot of emotions in leaving that place. But you see, God has done some amazing things. In fact, some people have already uh, told me and Dad that they were loving that building more than they were what God was doing. Didn't mean to. Didn't even realize it got to that point. But it got attached to that particular building. So God was able to change that up for us. He got that building sold. We didn't have a place to go. Man, that was the funniest part of the conversations we would have with people. We're selling that building. Where are you guys going? We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Nothing in our training tells us that's the right and proper way to handle business. You should have a plan and know where you're going before you sell. That's not what we did. Why? Because we heard the word of the Lord and we trusted God. So his dad is talking with his brother, not in Christ, my uncle. They grew up together. Neither one of them had talked to each other about what was going on in their ministries. And my uncle had heard the Lord say, it's time to close up shop here and go on to the next adventure, if you will. So his dad's talking to my uncle. That comes up, and all of a sudden, we realize God has provided a place for us. Why was Uncle Brick being told at that time? God could have told him at any point in time to get out of this building. But see, it worked out perfectly for us to be able to move from the previous building into this. So again, the things should not be, the words we use should not be, I don't like this building. It should be, thank you, God, for providing for us. But the roof leaks. Yeah, but we got a roof. Put a bucket under it. It'll be all right. We, we got an estimate on the roof here to repair it. Technically, it should be our landlord's responsibility. But God's given me some major compassion for our landlord. And, and he is trying to provide for his family as well. And he doesn't just own one building, and so he's constantly being asked to repair things. Sometimes they need to be repaired, other times they don't. And so we got a quote on our own. We wanted to be a blessing, except they wanted several, several thousand dollars, like upwards of $10,000, just to repair the roof, not even to replace it. So we just kind of went to prayer again and said, we just don't feel like we can spend that kind of money on the building. I don't know how long after that it was, but it wasn't too long. All of a sudden, we get a roofer to come over here, and he tells us that Mr. Jones, our landlord from across the street, has sent him over here. And he tells us that to repair the roof, he'll do it for $3,800 and guarantee it for three years. And I paused. And because I paused, he got uncomfortable and let the cat out of the bag. And with the silence there for a minute, I heard him kind of get antsy. And he said, well, uh, and Mr. Jones says he'll pay half. I knew the response and reaction he was doing because I've done it before. Oops, I wasn't supposed to share that just yet. And in my dealings with Mr. Jones afterwards, I know now Mr. Jones is a man that will go ahead and ask for what he can get, but he's willing to work with you. So he wanted to, he had already negotiated a phenomenal price, but he went one step further and he paid half that. So we ended up getting this roof repaired for $1,900 and three years guaranteed on it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that to me is an example of God blessing and taking care of us. 
yeah, but you got the lights aren't so bright in here and, and the, the sunroof things, whatever these are called, are all dingy and don't like. You know what? If we go through it, we can come up with nine million problems in this building, in our lives, at our jobs, and everywhere. The question is, are you taming your tongue and speaking what God would speak about this place? Are you speaking what God would speak about your future? Are you speaking about what God would speak about in your situation? We talked last week about call those things not as though they be. Speak those things not as though they were. We read in the scripture says God calls those things to exist that do not exist. And when we speak, if we are listening to the Lord, we are speaking with the breath of God, then we can call those things be if they're not where they need to be. So we've called forth the right building at the right time, at the right price. And until that comes, we're going to celebrate and thank the Lord for what he has done and what he has provided for us here at this location. It shouldn't be any different for you in your personal life. That job you're in may be one of the hardest jobs you've ever been in, but you're there for a reason. You're there for a reason. Ask the Lord. Know that people are listening to you. A couple more things here. Most conversations are just alternating monologues. The question is, is there any real listening going on? I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody that does let you speak, but it's very obvious that they didn't hear a word you said. Those can be very frustrating. Very frustrating. We need to listen to people. People will tell you all kinds of stuff. They'll tell on themselves. I used to love, love just listening to the kids at school when we were teaching. When Tammy and I were teaching, you don't have to worry about kids trying to get away with stuff. They told on themselves all the time. They couldn't help it. They weren't even trying to tattle. Sometimes just they wanted to brag about what they thought they got away with. I mean, it's amazing. They can't keep quiet. Well, guess what? When we're talking to people and loving on them, if we'll just listen, they will tell you where they're at. They'll tell you what they need in the form of encouragement. They'll tell you where the doorway is for you to walk through to get to minister to them. But we have to listen to people. The question really is, do we respond to people or do we react to people? Now, my definition and the difference between responding and reacting is this. Reacting is when we do an immediate reaction. It's when we immediately give our answer or solution or feedback. Responding is when we pause and we think about what we're going to say. You ever heard of a knee-jerk reaction? That's not said in a positive connotation. Well, that was just a knee-jerk reaction. That's why he acted the way he acted. But then you hear about a response. It's a calculated response. It means they thought about it. It was strategic. They paused. They thought about it. Maybe prayed about it. Hopefully prayed about it before they responded. I want to encourage you to take inventory of how you are talking to people. Are you reacting or are you responding? When people get aggressive towards me in their speech, it's hard for me not to want to come back at them very aggressively. But if I'll listen and I'll pause and I'll ask the Lord, he will show me not only a way to help them, but he'll, he'll translate. That's the other thing about the students that I've realized works with adults as well. 
is people will tell you what they think they're struggling with. You ask the Lord to interpret for you, and he'll show you what they're actually dealing with. He'll show you what the root of the problem is rather than just the symptom. And then God will use you to help bless that person and free that person up. That's how you tame the tongue by not reacting. I'll never forget. I love sports, by the way, and I appreciate sports for kids because it gives them an outlet and a chance to grow, puts them in some situations, even pressure situations that in other parts of the world would get them in major trouble if they reacted the way that they react on the field of play. Eddie was playing soccer, and this kid just kept pulling on him and pulling on him because Eddie was quicker than him, and Eddie would outrun him all the time and get the ball and this kid was just frustrated by that, and so he, he was cheating the system, and he was grabbing on Eddie's jersey and grabbing on Eddie's jersey and grabbing on Eddie's jersey. Finally, in the middle of the game, that guy grabbed on his jersey, and Eddie had enough. And all I see is Eddie reach back and just faceplant that kid into the ground. So, oh, my gosh. I don't know what to do. He'd had enough, so he reacted. Needless to say, he got a red card, not a yellow card, which means you're out that game. And I proceeded to take him into another field and just rip him up one side and down the other. Unfortunately, I reacted as well. But I was embarrassed. He embarrassed me, right? That's my kid. You shouldn't, rea- you shouldn't respond that way. You shouldn't react that way. The, the worst part of that was when we went back over, I'd calmed down. I loved on him. Went back over, and the coach told him at the end of the game, he said, Eddie, Eddie, I know that kid was driving you crazy. He said, in practice, remind me, I'll show you how you can do that and get away with it. Lord, I don't need that. I'll give you one more story. Soccer was amazing. Uh, another story, same team. Uh, we're, the kids are playing, and I guess same thing. One of our kids had had, uh, had been faster and better than the other kid, and that kid just kept messing with him, messing with him, messing with him, messing with him. And they're running down the field right in the middle of the play. Our kid reaches around and grabs him and hip tosses him to the ground. And when they do that, the dads go running in there. Now they're trying to pull the kids off, and our dad grabs the other kid because they're rolling around. He's trying to grab his own, but he ends up grabbing the other kid. Well, that upset the other dad, so we might have had a big melee and fight there. Now, as a wrestling coach, I really, really did talk to that kid afterwards and interested, asked him if he was interested in joining the wrestling team because it was an amazing hip toss. But the frustration had gotten to him to the point he reacted. He could not help himself anymore. Best part of that game was the refs would not let us continue the game until the parents all went around behind the fence. So the parents are still, it's tense. The parents are still kind of at each other's throats right now. They're they're keeping distance, but they're mad. And we get around the other side of the fence and conversations start stirring. The next thing I know, within two minutes, all the parents have realized they're not mad at each other. They're mad at the referee. And now they take all that frustration out on him. And this ain't that old of a guy. It's probably a 20-year-old, bless his heart. I felt so sorry for that kid. Everything I'm talking to you is about reactions. It's not about pausing and responding. And it's typically when we feel like we've been done wrong. If we're going to tame our tongues, we got to respond the way Jesus would respond. we got to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we have got to pause before we speak here. Can you hang with me just a few more minutes? You know, one of the best things we can do with our tongues to show that we've tamed it is encourage people. If what's about to come out of your mouth is negative or not encouraging, you probably should pause a little longer. All pauses are not created equal. 
All pauses are not created equal. Sometimes a five-second pause will work. Sometimes you might need a three-day pause. I don't know. But if what's about to come out is negative, if it's not encouraging, you need to pause a little, little longer. If you want an example of encouragement, yes, you can go to the life of Jesus, but I want to point out Paul. Paul definitely dealt with the churches sternly, but he wrote a letter to a young man to encourage him. You want to see a letter of encouragement, go read uh, 2 Timothy, the whole thing. Paul is just encouraging Timothy. But I want to read you the first five verses out of that book. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause there for a second. He's setting it up to say, look, I'm not just coming to talk to you as Paul. I'm coming to talk to you as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I don't know what kind of encouragement you need, but with what's about to follow and knowing that it wasn't just from Paul, but it was from God, oh, extremely encouraging. He says in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved son. How many of y'all know that was not his biological son? What an honor to be called his son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God when I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you. Paul, an apostle, was longing to see Timothy. One of the most used men of the Bible wanted to see Timothy. Of all the people he had met and knew, he wanted to see Timothy. And he came as a brother, as a father, and as an apostle of Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is, God wants to see you too. Paul wasn't saying he was God. What I'm telling you is that when God speaks to you and encourages you, he'll do that through others. Well, guess what? He'll use you to encourage. And you're not just going on your behalf. You're carrying the weight of the Lord with you. longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. You know, I was encouraged this morning because uh, in Sunday school they referenced my grandfather. And they said his grandfather, and I swelled up with some, yes, that's my grandfather, yes, yes. You know, there's some joy. There's encouragement that comes through that. That's just the first five verses in that book. Go read that entire book. Encouragement. Encourage people. Just him saying grace, mercy, and peace. When's the last time you spoke grace, mercy, and peace over somebody? People are acting like, well, you can fill in the blank. They're acting inappropriate. They're acting wrong. They're acting like just garbage, honestly. Begin to speak grace, peace, and mercy to them and see if that attitude don't change. When you go to the restaurant and your waiter, waiter or waitress is not taking care of you, and when they do, they've got a real bad temper, they're short with you, begin to speak love and joy and mercy and grace and peace to them and see if that attitude doesn't change. Sincere faith, man. I'll do a whole message on that. Let me finish up with this right here. Words of encouragement are even more persistent and powerful than words of discouragement. 
They carry the power to help, heal, encourage, refresh, restore, inspire, etc. They carry the power to change a city, a state, a nation, a world. If you don't believe that? Go read the Gospels. We simply need to learn how to tame our tongues, first by trusting the Holy Spirit, and then pausing, pondering, and praying before we speak. How about stand to your feet? I want to close with this thought here. I told you how much it pleased me to be reminded of my grandfather, especially in a positive way. And to know that I am a descendant of his and that he poured into me and that hopefully people see in me what they saw in my grandfather. That's so encouraging. So encouraging. Remember, prayers and words of encouragement persist long after the people who spoke them are gone. Yeah, I'm thinking of my grandfather, but think about Jesus. Yes, I I realize Jesus is alive and in heaven with the Father, but as a human, he's gone, but the words he spoke still resonate with us. We, We have service every Sunday talking about the words that Jesus spoke. Even when you talk about repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand is at hand, that's an encouraging word. Encourage. You can know whether your tongue is being tamed by the words that are coming out. Begin to listen to what's coming out of your mouth. Begin to listen to what you're telling other people. Begin to get more comfortable with awkward pauses. It's okay to not say anything. The other person may not understand it. It may make them feel uncomfortable at the time, but it would be better for you to say nothing than to say the wrong word. Amen? Amen. Father God, I just thank you and praise you today for helping us to tame our tongues. Holy Spirit, we do look to you. We trust in you, Father. Would you please begin to reveal to us how we are using this tongue of ours? Lord, if it be incorrect, if it be wrong, would you please reveal that and help us to Repent and get it corrected, Father. Lord, may we begin to speak nothing but words of healing and help and restoration and refreshing and joy and inspiration, Lord. May we begin to speak words of encouragement, Father God, and not discouragement. May we begin to build people up instead of tearing them down, Father. Lord, may we be that light instead of a part of the darkness, Father. Lord, everywhere we go, Lord, we want people to know that we serve you by our actions and our words, Father God. Lord, help us to tame our tongues by learning how to pause. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.